0: My name is Simon Luckhurst and this is Biological Poker, the first season of Ear Movies. This story is called The Long Road. The idea for this story came, funnily enough, when I went for a therapeutic massage. I've always found that bit between the masseur leaving the room so he can get undressed and getting comfy face down on the table with a towel over you difficult. I lay there one day with my head in the hole in the table while the massage was happening and the story just sort of came in the way that they do. As for Ian Rogerson, well, legend. Jono and Dano were hilarious for so long, funny as hell. Initial inklings of Hunter S. Thompson, but they quickly moved on and forged their own brand of buddy humour. Then Ian chose to look after his son. Jono went to London and became number one. It was such a privilege to work with Ian. We'd come into contact before for a work thing and he was totally professional, but also just so, it sounds corny to say, but nice. He was no different when we recorded this. He had a great feeling for the story and the character of Lance. I hope you like it.
1: The Long Road There's an old guy in a camper van in a front yard not far from Cable Beach. He has the reputation of giving the best massages in Broome, if not the world. Stays to himself most of the time, except when he flies down south a couple of times a year to see his family. Lance Riley was 57 when he had his first massage. He'd been forced to the therapy centre by chronic lower back pain, the legacy of nearly 40 years of long-haul truck driving. He kept his face lowered as the masseuse asked him a series of questions. Where was the pain located? Did it radiate down his leg? How long had he had it? About three months. Three months. Why have you waited so long? He was out of his comfort zone, a long way from the familiar world of his cabin above the highway, of being at home with Aggie or down at the pub. He shrugged. I took painkillers. They didn't do too much. Dr Khan suggested you. She nodded and made another note. She was about 10 years younger than he was, Lance guessed, but he knew he might be quite wrong. Chinese, possibly Thai, he wasn't really sure. I'll leave the room now, get undressed and lie on the bed. She left. Lance looked at the door. What did she mean by undressed? Should he strip down to the nutty? He unbuttoned his flannelette shirt, took it off and placed it over the chair. The room smelled of scented candles. It had a wooden floor and was bare for the most part, a small desk in the corner, the massage table and a shelf unit full of towels. He took his shoes off, folded his socks over them. He stood still, running his hands over his belly. Not a gut, not a big one anyway. He managed to keep it at bay, although more through luck than good management. He didn't exercise more than walking three times a week. He cut back on the grog, so that was something. Some blokes looked pregnant. A bloody veranda over the tool shed, Dickie Reynolds used to say. Dickie had been dead for years now. A smash on the Newell Highway. He'd always made Lance smile. He was still standing there when the masseuse re-entered the room. Oh, sorry, she said. I I thought you'd be ready. Do I take it all off or uh, leave your underwear on? Is this your first time? He nodded. I should have been clearer, she said. Lie on the bed face down. You can cover yourself with a towel. She left again. He quickly took off his jeans and spent some time fussing around, trying to organise the towel over himself while laying face down on the narrow bed. He sank his face into the hole. He heard her come back in. She started playing some soft music. Then she touched him. There'd been a few girls when he was younger, since then only Aggie, in all the long years he was on the road. That wasn't quite true, he reflected. There'd been Sonia as well, but she was nearly ten years ago. The masseuse was running her hands over his back, down his legs, squeezing his feet. Christ, it felt bloody good. Then she started in earnest and he was in heaven. She climbed onto the table and was kneeling over him, using her weight to press into his lower back. She crawled up beside him so her knees were next to his back while she worked on his shoulders. Years of tension, she muttered. He grunted in agreement, but didn't want to talk. The sensation of her hands on his back, the smells, the gentle music, it was all foreign, but he loved every second of it. He wondered what the old girl would think if she saw it. Would she be jealous of the woman now astride him? Aggie wasn't big on Asians, so there'd be that. Lance himself had now met too many blokes from too many places to judge them by their nationality or religion. Some Asians drove rigs, even Arabs drove these days. They knew what it was like to spend hours on the highway, the loneliness, the tarmac rolling by, time rolling with it. They'd seen the same bitumen, the same road signs, the same sudden incidents of carnage that Lance had. She was working on his calves now, running her hands up his thighs. Christ, it was bloody tremendous. What if he got a boner? Embarrassing, yes, but there hadn't been much action in that department for a long time. It'd be nice to feel that again. He smiled into the well of the table. Despite the pressure of her hands on his upper legs, the old fella stayed dormant, nothing stirred. Lance satisfied himself he was behaving the right way. The hour was possibly the most luxurious he had spent in his entire life. When she finished, she left the room while he changed. He felt looser, relaxed, happy even. Enjoyment was something else that had been on ice, he realized. Routine didn't allow for periods of pleasure. You've done a lot of damage over the years, the masseuse told him. If only she knew. Your lower back is very knotty. Your upper back isn't much better. Big men like you need a lot of work when they're like this, he nodded. If what she'd done for the last hour counted as work, he was all for it, whatever it took to make things better. I want to do more on your upper body next time. You want to come in again next week? Yes, he did. He paid, took the glass of water she offered and found himself surprisingly thirsty. He went to the bathroom, then left the building, heading down to the newsagent for a paper. He returned to the therapy centre to pick up his car. As he approached, he heard someone trying to start their engine. Whir, 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 and a loud, high, grinding sound as they engaged the starter motor before the engine had stopped turning, then whir, whir again. His masseuse was sitting inside a battered Mazda, clearly frustrated. She tried again, still no luck. He could smell petrol. You flooded it, he told her. Want me to have a look? She nodded, grateful. I'm late for an appointment, she told him. It was an older car, thankfully, as he was more familiar with them. He loved the old motors. You could do anything with them. He could strip down a V8 and rebuild it practically blindfolded. New motors, though, were shrouded under plastic and computer-controlled. He flipped the cap off a distributor, reached into his pocket and took out his hanky. He wiped out the lid, saw the moisture on the cloth, most likely the problem. Spark-plugged leads seemed okay. Battery terminals a little corroded, but not as bad as they could get. He clipped the cap back on. Press on your accelerator, he told her. Now raise it slowly and count to ten. He saw her silently mouth the numbers. Try it now. Start at first go. Smiles all round. How did you know what to look for, she asked. He shrugged. Experience, he explained. Kind of like a detective story. You track things down. Like a massage, she told him, following the trail back to the source of the crime. That's it, he agreed. I owe you one, she said. No, you don't, he told her. She nodded and drove away. He returned for his next massage the following week. He'd been looking forward to it, wanting those foreign smells again, the feeling of relaxation he'd encountered, the blissfulness of the gentle music that rocked him towards sleep but instead led to deep relaxation. Thanks again for the car the other week, she told him. There was nothing, he told her. It's been a real bastard lately, she said. Once he would have been surprised by hearing the strong Aussie accent emerge from the Asian lips, but nothing in Australia surprised him anymore. There's moisture getting into your distributor, he told her. I bought some spray. If you want to, I'll give it a burl after we finish. Only take a minute. Would you mind? Used to have a Datsun with the same problem. Once you get some spray in the dizzy, it'll fix it in a jiffy. She left the room while he undressed, and he again found it awkward to manipulate the towel to cover himself while lying face down on the narrow table. Would it ever be easy, he wondered? Would he ever be so familiar with it that it became second nature? The first time he'd driven a semi, he wondered the same thing, but now it was like breathing. He lay there as her hands felt parts of him that had never been touched, as they delved and explored the knots and strains of his decades on the road. He'd never known anything like this, not even when he and Aggie had first gotten together, not the sidetrack with Sonia, not the handful of fumbles from before Aggie with the high school girls when he'd been at school. He thought of those early days with Aggie, explorations of underwear at the drive-in, when they went parking, that's what they called it then, those nights pashing in the backseat of his dad's valiant, parking. Aggie had been willing in those days, happy to give him anything he asked for. He'd been equally obliging. Different now, though. So different. They really touched it all. Lovemaking had ceased a few years back. Lance tried to tell himself that Sonia had had nothing to do with it. But even though Aggie had never found out about her, somehow she lurked there, a ghost in their bed. He tried to remember the last time he and Aggie had been intimate. He honestly had no idea. Logically, there must have been a last time, although neither knew it when it was happening. It was the end of a long taper, the gaps between encounters growing longer and longer until eventually they'd ceased entirely. They'd been good when they were young. Olympic standard, they used to joke, panting under the sweaty sheets after they'd finished, breathing hard, grinning, so many years ago. The masseuse was rolling her hands over his shoulders, digging into muscles that felt like stone, tissue that had fossilised through posture and repetition and stubbornness. He wondered how Aggie would be if he approached her tonight, reached for her in bed, stroked her thigh and invoked the old unspoken code. He supposed he still loved her. She cooked for him, ironed, cleaned, made the bed, kept him connected to their social world, and what was happening with Raylene, now living in Melbourne, with her husband and their son Tyson. He missed Raylene more than anything. Not the mousy-haired opinionated woman she'd grown into so much, but the child who had once asked him endless questions, who loved sitting in the truck, who sometimes rode with him to distant cities. He loved those trips, rolling down the long, long highways, pointing out the features of interest. It was great to have someone to talk to. He'd let her use the CB sometimes to chat to the other drivers, ask them questions. He wondered what she'd ask them now. Did Tyson ask questions of her, and what did she tell him? He knew what her opinions were, although he didn't share them. She thought that the world was a bitter place, and that you always deserve more. The massage ended. He lingered on the table after she left the room, not quite ready to stand up. Finally... He gingerly stepped down onto the floor and dressed slowly. The sudden hardness of the ground after the luxury of the massage reminded him of getting down from a trampoline when he was a kid. She was waiting at the counter, a glass of water and POS machine at the ready. How does it feel, she asked. Definitely better, he said, much looser. He reminded her about her car and she led him out the back. It only took him five minutes to pop off the dizzy cap and spray the WD-40. Are you a mechanic? He shook his head. I've spent a lot of time on the road though. I've had to help out a few people over the years. It was how he'd met Sonia, come to think of it. My engine has a strange sound when it's running. I don't suppose you could listen to it? She turned the car on. He didn't have to strain to hear it. It's your timing chain, he told her. You'll need to have it looked at, but if you wait until it snaps, it could cause some damage and you'd need to get towed. (laughs) Aggie had dinner on was sitting outside on the deck, having a smoke when he arrived home. How was it, she asked. I think it's helping, he told her. He went to the small fridge and took out a beer. Want one, he asked. I've got a shardy going. They sat and looked over their backyard in the warm evening, sipping in silence, and then Aggie spoke. I have to see a specialist. How come? I had a chest scan. They found something. What? Something bad, I think. He took another drink. She lit another cigarette. He wanted to tell her to stop smoking, but maybe it was already too late. He had to go to Melbourne the next day. He asked if she wanted him with her. She said she'd be fine. They called the highway between Sydney and Melbourne Sesame Street. He wondered how many times he'd been along it. He was taking a load of steel frames down, returning with breadcrumbs on the back load. He'd settled into the familiar rhythm, listening to the chatter on the CB for a while, then put on a CD, country and western hits, old favourites, like a cushion for his heart. CDs were so different from the old cassettes that would unwind halfway through a song and strangle the tape heads. Before that had been the static of 70s AM radio. Aggie would be fine, he told himself, although he knew she wouldn't be. He could tell from the way she'd spoken that she was worried. And she'd been more snappy than usual lately. But there was also something about the way she looked. His skin had a sheen, almost waxy. He'd organised for her to ring him when she'd spoken to the specialist. He reckoned it wouldn't be until Gundagai, and he was about ten clicks south when the phone rang. She was sobbing. They're doing a biopsy of the sarvo. Must think it's serious if they're getting you in so quick. He said he doesn't want to take any chances. Lance was quiet. The white lines on the highway flicked by underneath him. Sorry, I can't be there. I'll be right. I'll see you tomorrow. I'd come back early, but if they pick up me logbook, I'll be stuffed. No, no. It's fine. They'd gotten together when they were both 17. 39 bloody years. Next year would be the big 4-0, if they made it that far. In any couple, one always has to leave first, unless they both died in a smash or suicide pact or something. He'd always reckoned it would be him. It was usually the blokes, heart attacks, cancer from the ciggies or the grog. He called Raylene. Ring your mum. What is it? Medical thing. Will we see you tonight? Yeah. He couldn't unload fast enough, unhooked the trailer and took the prime mover to Raylene's. She was in tears. It's not good, Dad. Yeah, that's what the old girl reckoned. Raylene came to him for a hug. He put his arms around her and stroked her hair. Tyson ran over and began to punch his shin. Leave him alone, Raylene said, now laughing with a tear-lined face. This right, Poppy? Lance sparred with his grandson briefly, but his mind wasn't on it. They ate dinner quietly. Raylene's husband, Phil, talked a lot about surviving cancer. He'd seen a current affairs show and wondered whether she should forget chemo and go on a raw food diet. They let him talk. It was easier. Raylene was all for her and Tyson coming back with Lance in the truck, but he gently talked them out of it and helped them out by paying for the plane tickets. He could have handled Raylene by herself just, but the thought of 10 hours of Tyson in the cabin was too much. He stopped a truck World for a coke and a pie and, for the first time in many years, seriously contemplated buying some smokes. Perhaps it was the past calling him, he thought. Wanting it all back how it used to be. Him smoking, Aggie healthy. He bought the pack, but tossed them out on the way to the truck. Twenty bucks down the drain. It was stupid to think of smoking again. Raylene and Tyson were at home before him, and he could tell by Raylene's face that things were bad. The doctor says it's real aggressive, Dad. There's nothing they can do. Bullshit, there must be something. He knew there wasn't. Raylene's shaken head confirmed his fears. All this bloody medical science we pay taxes on, he let his protest dwindle. Aggie had smoked a packet of 25s a day for the whole time they'd been together. The warnings were on the pack. The doctor had been honoured her for years to give them away. It's my treat, she'd explained, my time. It was her ritual, their ritual, when he'd smoked as well. Sit out the back, have a few ciggies, a few drinks, let the day disappear. Everything became quiet out there before they headed back inside for tea in front of the telly He wondered if he'd keep sitting out there with her after he quit smoking, but he had and didn't start up again, although it'd have been bloody close a few times early on. Would he keep going out there once Aggie'd gone? Tyson crash tackled him in the hall, he grabbed at the door frame to stop him falling and felt a wrench in his back as he did so. He hobbled to the lounge. Poppy's a damn cripple, Tyson shouted joyfully. Just what he needed. He lay on the masseuse's table the next afternoon, just totally grateful for everything. Her hands on his lower back, the tranquil music, the warmth and the gentle exotic smells. "'You're more tense than before,' the woman exclaimed at one point. "'Through the hole in the table his face was nestled into, "'he explained about Tyson pushing him into the wall, "'about the drive he'd just taken to Melbourne, "'and then without knowing he was going to go there, "'he started talking about Aggie's illness. "'She's a tough old bird, a real fighter. "'She'll beat it.' "'He knew with every word that she was dying, "'that the bugger of a thing would do for her "'probably before bloody Christmas.' He wanted to be honest about it, but you had to speak like that, didn't you? As if there was hope that she'd live, when he knew, absolutely knew to his very core, that she was a goner. Another ruined cancer's headlights. He could hear it in his head, the same sound he'd heard a thousand times, the impact of startled flesh on his bull bar. It was the same with Aggie, and now all they could do was wait. "'So you think she'll be all right?' the masseuse asked. "'No,' he said, surprising himself with his honesty.' I want to think she will be. I say it around Raylene and Tyson because they want to hear it, but I know she's not going to make it. He supposed he should cry, start bawling, watch the drops fall to the floor, salt rain on the wooden boards beneath him. There was nothing, though. There was a drought in his eyes. Cockatoos called, flew over the dry landscape of his life to come, shrieks that were louder than they should be because of the silence surrounding everything. Everything. He'd stood on the side of the road and watched the birds fly towards the heat haze. They all suffered when it was dry like that. Except for this oasis with these soft hands tugging the sinews into place, hauling on muscles like old ropes, pressing bones like rocks back into the right place. He fell asleep, although he didn't think it'd be possible. Aggie didn't take well to the chemo. First couple of doses were okay, then it hit her like a tonne of bricks. She writhed. There was no other word for it in the bed, clutching her stomach. Medication did nothing to reduce the nausea. She clutched at her guts and spent most of the time trying to spew or in tears. Normally Lance couldn't deal with women crying, but he endured it for her. He knew he had to, knew as well that what he was going through was nothing compared to what she was feeling. He didn't know how to help her. She was off food and couldn't handle drinking, They'd relented on the old rule and let her smoke in the house, but she didn't light up that often. She rolled around in bed, clutched at her belly and spilled tears. He did not want to be in the room, but he couldn't let the old girl handle it by herself. I bet you're loving this, she hissed at him one afternoon. He looked at her, surprised. Why do you say that? Because it's not you lying here and me sitting there, she moaned again. Another time she just whimpered, small heart-wrenching sobs. It was all he could do to stay in his chair. You wouldn't do this to a dog, he thought. You'd grab a twenty-two and put it behind its ear. No one should have to endure this. He'd moved in an old camp bed they had from years back and set it up on the floor beside hers. It left her free to thrash around while he'd tried to get a few moments of shut-eye. It didn't work very well. He hardly slept any more than she did, which was barely at all but it gave him space from the monster that was taking over the woman he'd spent most of his life with. Raylene called every day, but only came up one weekend. She couldn't handle seeing her mother like that, cried worse than Aggie, right in front of her. Lance told her he'd handle it while her mum went through the treatment to make her better. It wasn't going to make her better, and he wondered why they played this stupid game of make-believe. ''Get the gun!'' Aggie shouted one afternoon, glitter-eyed, grabbing his hand dramatically and speaking so forcefully a ball of spit flew off her lips into the small space between them. ''We don't have a gun, you silly moo,'' he said. She turned away, hating him. ''Go up to the cross and buy one, you dickhead!'' He wasn't going to do that. She grabbed her belly again. ''I can't do this!'' she rolled over and he thought of something. He took off his shoes and knelt on the bed next to her, Gingerly, he placed his hands on her lower back and began kneading. Does that help? She surprised him by nodding. Yeah, it does a bit, Dal. He used both hands, pressing down from his shoulders, using the weight of his body to apply pressure, the same way the masseuse did with him. He felt Aggie relax beneath him, felt her sag into the bed like an old rag doll. That's all she is now, he thought, a bit of old towel, faded and tattered. He ran his hands up over the thin knotty and onto her shoulders. Where did you learn this? she asked. Dunno. The massages I've been getting, I suppose, he said. He knew his efforts were a million miles from the ones the masseuse gave him. Do you want me to ring up and see if they do house calls? he asked, with sudden inspiration. She shook her head. I couldn't. It'd be weird. It was how he felt the first time he remembered. But don't you stop. So he gave her lots of back rubs in the few weeks that followed. Hand rubs and foot rubs as well. She particularly liked the foot rubs. He remembered what the masseuse had told him, that a good back rub was like a crime novel and he always sought to locate the root cause of Aggie's discomfort, tracking down a muscle group here and a bunch of sinews there and following them to a new clue. He kept going through the scan which showed how much of the lump had grown and entered the decision to discontinue the treatment and for her to go into palliative. They were a bloody good mob, the palliative people. Had to be, I suppose, doing a job like that. He could crash into the hospital with her. Without the chemo and with the meds they gave her, she calmed right down. He kept up with the massaging and she said it really helped. Her skin was like tissue paper, almost translucent now, thin fabric draped over her tired bones. You like touching me, Lance? Yeah, it's all right. It wasn't actually, because the feeling of her skin under his hands reminded him of how different she felt now. This in turn reminded him of how much of their lives was gone and of how little remained, especially for her. One evening, the night before Raylene was due to come up for the last time because they knew it wouldn't be long now, Aggie surprised him by becoming young again. He knew it must be a trick of the light, but as she lay there breathing softly, the age melted right off her. The lines and wrinkles disappeared and she was bloody 20. He looked at her for a long time. Six weeks was all she'd lasted, not even two months and nowhere near the Christmas mark they'd hoped for. Organising the funeral was just such a bloody chore. Everyone wanted to help when he knew that all she wanted was something plain and simple. Dignity, sure, but not fuss. And there ended up being so much fuss. Flowers, newspaper notices, catering... Drinks at the bowl, low. To top it off, Phil had wanted a cheaper coffin. Raylene said she preferred something more ornate and the discussion had grown into a heated conversation before descending into arctic glares across the room and pointed remarks. It had finally blown up on the way to the funeral when Phil took the opportunity to remind her it was about to be burnt. Lance left the matter in the chapel car park. Heard them screaming at each other and actually smiled at one point. Raylene could give as good as she got, that was for sure. She'd learned that from her mother, he supposed. After the service, someone had organised some helium balloons for Tyson mainly and they dutifully stood out the front of the chapel. Lance felt uncomfortable as the celebrant passed them around. They were supposed to let them go together. Him, Raylene, Phil and Aggie's sister down from Queensland with not much longer to go herself by the look of it. That same bloody grey pallor. With a wail of disappointment, bloody Tyson let his balloon go early and it sailed quickly up into the sky. After a few quick optimistic words from the celebrant about seeing Aggie in the next life, the rest of them let theirs go. Their four balloons chased Tyson's and they told their own story, Lance supposed. Lance watched the balloons for a long, long time, waiting for them all to disappear. While they were having a few beers at the club later, Aggie's body was in the crematorium being burned. He thought about this as he looked at his schooner glass and watched the droplets racing down the side to join the puddle on the beer mat below. We're all droplets, he thought. We're all desperately clinging to the smooth surface of the glass, but all our efforts to hang on are equally futile. He wanted to be on the road, not in this crowded, noisy room with people coming up to him earnestly, feeling sorry for his loss. He wanted to be driving and concentrating on making good time. The wake dragged on. Tyson was running round, high on red drink and lollies. The adult voices grew louder as Moore was drunk. He felt a vibration in his pocket, reached in and found his phone. I just wanted to see how you were going. Christ, it was the masseuse. Yeah, getting through it. How's your back? He'd been perched on a barstool for most of the afternoon. Actually, it was pretty bad. Come in again tomorrow, on me, she said. You don't have to do that. It's okay. He felt comforted by her offer. He didn't know why, but he looked forward to it. He took to going to a weekly and his back slowly improved. He kept driving, cruising the long highways, not really thinking about much, listening to music and the continual background chatter of his workmates who surrounded him in their own rigs. He sat in truck stops avoiding conversation for the most part but sometimes letting little snippets drift in, mully of yarns that made their way under his bat. On the road he'd sleep in the cab, comforted by the familiar loneliness. In the past he'd phoned Aggie. At first he'd rung Raylene, but it was no substitute and he stopped after a while. She was always busy with Tyson or cooking dinner or asked the wrong questions. The house was too quiet. He'd sit on the back deck, beer in hand, waiting for Aggie to come back from the club or the shops or the flicks and knowing she never would. Sometimes when it was very late he'd get out of bed and walk quietly out to the truck which was parked at the front. Hoping the neighbours didn't see him, he'd gingerly open the door and spend the night inside. It was easier to sleep there. Your back is much better, I think, the masseuse looked up at him, smiling. He nodded. Better than it's been for a long time. He hoped this didn't mean the treatment would end. You'll still need regular maintenance, he smiled, relieved. Her hands on his back were the only thing that connected him to the world anymore. Without her, he was Tyson's balloon, alone in the wide sky. One evening he was at the supermarket. He usually went to Coles, but this evening he'd tried the local Woolies after finding a list of specials in his mailbox. He was still bewildered by shopping, although he liked the pipe music. He loaded the bags into the boot when he heard a scream. On the far side of the car park, where it was darker, a man and a woman were struggling. He was taunting her as he held her arms, calling her a slut. She was screaming at him to leave her alone to get his poxy hands off her. For a second, just a quick moment... Lance considered ignoring it. It wasn't his fight. He'd drive away. They'd probably sort it out in the morning, never do it again or repeat it every night for the rest of their lives. Whichever way it went, he'd stay out of their business. But then the woman shrieked to the dark for someone to help her and there was fear in her voice. Lance walked over and saw the man slap her firmly across the face. Then he raised his fist. Next time it's this, he told her. What's going on, Lance growled. None of your business, mate. I think you need to let her go. The man ignored him. I said, let her go. The woman was looking at him, pleading with her eyes. He smiled at her. Lance hadn't had a fight in 30 years, but he had a few scraps when he was younger. He'd give it a go if necessary. He took out his phone. I'm calling the cops. Leave us alone, asshole. Lance ignored him. I'm in the Riley Street car park behind Woolies. There's a domestic argument. Before he could say more, the man launched at him, but Lance was ready. He hadn't realised he was so angry. The loss of Aggie suddenly boiled inside him. He smashed the bloke on the cheek, another to the side of his head. He was a punching machine, impervious to pain. The guy got a couple of hits on him, but was nothing to Lance's strong, heavy, determined shots. Bang, bang, bang. His fist landed on the bloke's cheek again, on his mouth, on his nose. Lance saw with grim satisfaction that he'd split his lip. Suddenly the guy was backing away, hands over his face. All right, all right, all right. He walked away into the night. The woman was watching him. He smiled again at her. You okay, love? She shrugged. Greg's an arsehole. He'll sober up. Be right in the morning. You gonna stay with him? We've got kids. Lance shrugged. He helped pick up her spilled groceries and piled the bags onto the back seat where she wanted. She got into the car and started it. You're a good bloke, mate. Thanks. You're welcome, he told her, watching her drive away. Then he heard a voice next to him. You are a good bloke, Lance. Not every man would have done what you just did. She doesn't realise how lucky she is that you helped her. She should leave him, run a mile, or other men will be risking their safety for her in the future, like you did tonight. It was the masseuse. Where'd you spring from, he asked. I was shopping. I saw the whole thing. He's a dickhead. She looked at him. He realised she was tiny. You're shaking. He looked down at his hands, and sure enough, he was shaking like a bloody leaf. His response surprised him. There's a pub over the road, want a drink? She looked up at him. It's no worries if you don't, he said. Only I could use the company. She smiled. That'd be nice. They walked slowly together. There was an outside area with gas heaters and it was warm enough there. He had a full strength, she had a Chardonnay. Strange, he thought, same as Aggie. Conversation was stilted at first. He didn't want to ask her where she was from, although it was something he was curious about. So clichéd and stereotyped to ask that. Instead, he asked about massaging. Was it something she'd always had an interest in? He felt stupid after saying it. It wasn't something like being a doctor or a mechanic. She seemed to be thinking. Like most people do most things, I got into it because it paid me. I had a friend doing it. Actually, the other kind of massage. She smiled again. She had a nice smile, he thought. You know, happy ending massage. Oh, that kind. I didn't want to do that, but she explained I didn't have to. I knew nothing when I first started, little more than what I liked, which I'd tried to apply to the bodies I worked on. Then I found out I could do a course, study it properly, use different techniques. So I did that and found I really enjoyed it. You're very good at it. I'd say you have a calling. People tell me that. I still apply the same principles as when I started. What I like feeling. Only now I have more skills and can apply what I know much better. It's like a piece of music. You start with a central theme, add harmonies, little emphasis and side melodies. It's very creative. They sat quietly for a while. That was brave of you in the car park, she said. I've never been much of a fighter, but I had to stand up for myself a few times when I was younger. Did he hurt you? Lance shook his head. Nothing to write home about. And you're back? He didn't feel surprised that she was concerned with his back. I think it's okay, he said. Come tomorrow and I'll check. Another free one. She grinned and he smiled back. Worth it then, I reckon. She had an early morning, so they didn't have a second drink. He realised he wanted that and so asked her out after his next session with her. I really shouldn't see my clients in a social context, she told him. Go on, he said. You're great at your job. It's not like you're a doctor or a head shrink. What's the worst that could happen? You know how to relieve the pain in my lower back. They went on a date, and another a week later. Lance felt things he hadn't recognised for years. Emotions which he'd put aside now came back with force. Most of them good. He recognised a few that weren't so nice, remorse and guilt over enjoying himself with Aggie gone. What could you do though? He wouldn't have expected Aggie to have stayed single. He wondered what kind of bloke she would have found. He wondered if she was out there, sitting on a cloud somewhere, watching him. Would she approve? She'd never been keen on Asians, for one thing. She could be jealous anyway, especially early on. She would have killed him if she'd found out about Sonia. Absolutely murdered him, no doubt about that. But this was different, and she wasn't here to tell him no or give him advice or a piece of her mind. So he kept seeing her. Her name was Thom, and it turned out she was from Thailand, although she'd spent most of her life in Australia. She lived with a mother and had never been married. She'd wanted to but had never met anyone at the right time and said she was now too old. There was a mother to look after, a cranky old woman who didn't speak English well. When she told him, he wondered if she was waving a red flag at him, trying to put him off somehow, but he was smitten by then and really she would have to have worked very hard to put him off. His real complication was Raylene, She was a mother's girl and he knew she wasn't going to be happy about him being with anyone else, let alone an Asian. Christ, what did it even matter? But he knew it would be a problem for Raylene. The first time he took the masseuse to bed was a disaster. They'd booked a motel, as he wasn't happy to do it at home and she had a mother. But it had just been too long and things wouldn't work properly. She was caring though and kind. They kissed, felt each other's naked bodies, did things sensitively and gently but when he felt they should be ready to do it, nothing happened. Don't worry, she said. Has it happened before? Haven't really done it for a long time, years I guess. It'll be fine. Her reassurance was welcome, but he wondered how much patience she'd have if the same thing happened the next time. Despite his worry, he found he was more relaxed the second time. There weren't any issues and they both eventually lay back sweaty and smiling. She had a mother and cultural differences. He had the house Aggie used to live in and Raylene, so they didn't spend full nights together. He kept driving, although with Aggie's insurance payout, he didn't have to do it anymore, but he was dealing with enough now that Aggie wasn't around. Giving up the truck as well would have been too much. His back still niggled him, although some days were worse than others. Tom massaged it diligently, although now she was doing it out of love. It was love, he realised, after a couple of months. They respected each other and enjoyed each other's company, although neither was a big talker. He liked that about her. Aggie had always been on for the chat, and he hadn't really minded because it kept him connected with the world of their friends and relatives. But this new silence was somehow better. Not that it was a total vacuum. They spoke of the incidents of their days, told stories of their past, and sometimes discussed the future. She wanted him to marry her. She wanted the experience of living with a man, of caring for him, of growing old together. He resisted at first, and Thom appeared to understand his reluctance. She stopped discussing it after a while, but he knew she still wanted it. Then abruptly one night, he realised he couldn't stand being alone in his house anymore. The quiet had grown too loud. The shadows were too noisy. The silence screamed at him in a way he'd never known. He rang Thom and they spent an hour chatting. It was more than they usually talked in a whole evening, but you couldn't just sit there together contented and mute when you were on the phone. And so he proposed at a restaurant a few nights later, surprising her with a romantic dinner, candles, flowers and a ring hidden in the tiramisu. Thom smiled wider than he'd seen before. Predictably, Raylene went ballistic. Phil counselled her to be calm, Tyson really didn't give a shit. Lance could deal with Raylene's disapproval, and he understood that she felt it was disrespectful to Aggie. But it wasn't like he and Thom would be living in Raylene's pockets. He hoped that the kilometres between them were a buffer, and that would allow his relationship with his daughter to survive. In the end, it was mainly Thom's friends and relatives who came to the small Catholic church for the wedding thom told him that it was the best day of her life in the lead-up to the wedding he'd put his house on the market it had sold quickly and he and thom had bought a two-bedroom apartment together her mother moved with them She died nearly two years later, and after that, Lance gave up driving altogether. He'd realised that one of the reasons he'd kept it up this long was so he wasn't hanging around the flat with his mother-in-law. The language thing was difficult for him. He found it a strain to understand her thick, mangled English. The trips in the truck to Melbourne had given him a chance to make things up with Raylene. To some degree, she'd thawed, although not to the point of meeting Thom but she didn't bring up the subject of his marriage every time they spoke either. What really annoyed him was that she seemed to have turned Tyson against him and the bloody kid barely had two words for him anymore. That really hurt. With the sale of the rig, Lance and Thom bought a mobile home. It had a large living area, spacious bed, good kitchen set-up, air conditioning and a big screen TV. Lance liked being in it more than their apartment. On a Tuesday afternoon, they began packing up Thom's place. Next stop, North Queensland, Lance said as they began filling the first box. His own stuff was long-sold or incorporated into hers. It was surprising how little he'd kept. Not much more than a box in the end. Some knick-knacks and mementos, the old photo albums. Other than his clothes and what Raylene had taken, they'd pretty much binned all the rest or send it to the Salvo's. It was much the same process now as they prepared to cull Thom's belongings. Just before lunch, as she was heading to the kitchen to boil the jug for a coffee, she tripped on a pile of DVDs and went flying to the floor, catching her hip on the low table as she fell. Lance leapt towards her, immediately worried, but she sat up quickly, smiling. She stood gingerly, but apart from a wicked bruise, she seemed to be okay. She grinned ruefully. That was close. We can't set off at Cairns with you and plaster. Take it easy, Lance said. His heart was racing and he found himself panting. You're very red, Thumb told him. He sat down, struggling to control his breathing, his heart beating at a million miles an hour. I don't feel so good, he told her. She took his pulse and felt how clammy his forehead was. They drove to casualty, but by the time they arrived he felt fine again. Thom insisted he was checked out, so they sat for hours until he was admitted. They ran an ECG, and about an hour later he was given the all-clear. Nothing we can see in the test, the doctor said. It doesn't look to be your heart. BP is up, but nothing drastic. Have you ever had a panic attack before? Lance shook his head. You said you'd just had a fright. Sometimes they can be set off by shock. So Lance went home with a clean bill of health, and they resumed packing. Lance took a trip south to visit Raylene. He wanted to take the RV, but Thom insisted she wanted to be along for his first trip and anyway, she wanted to fix it up. He respected that and so took a flight to Melbourne. He was grateful to see Raylene waiting at the airport for him. No Tyson? He's at school. They went to a cafe, which was strange enough, and made small talk. He stayed the night and was relieved when Tyson ran up to him as soon as he saw him and whacked him in the stomach. He was almost back to his old self. It wasn't until he returned to Sydney and Thom stepped out of the shower that he realised everything was about to go seriously wrong. Christ, that bruise is still bad, love. Aggie and Thom were so different, but in a few ways they were similar. They both drank Chardonnay, loved fried rice and spent a similar amount of time in the shower. Maybe the last similarity was no great surprise. Maybe most women spend as long. Lance had no way of knowing. The other similarity they had was the aggressive nature of the cancer they contracted. Thom's leukaemia was brutal. She was put on chemo immediately. The mobile home went into storage and they rented a small unit near the hospital. She was clear-headed for the most part, not an enormous pain, and she found great comfort in the way that Lance would rub her back. You're very good at this, I think, she told him. I had a great teacher, he said. He was surprised and enormously pleased when Raylene showed up for the funeral. It was at the same church he and Thom had been married in only a few years before, with many of the same faces in the congregation. I'm glad you came, love. She nodded, and he saw she had tears. Sorry for being a bitch, she said. That's okay, he told her. I never saw it like that. After the service, they went to a club, not the same one as Aggie's Wake, and people offered Lance their condolences briefly and then found their own familiar groups. Lance and Raylene sat on two stools together, beers in their hands. How's Tyson? He wanted to come, but you know what he's like. He wouldn't have stayed still and would have asked questions in all the wrong places. Yeah. What'll you do now, Dad? Come and stay with you for a while if you'll have me. Spend some time with Tyson? That'd be great. I can sleep in the RV. I wouldn't be in your hair. You'll be fine. After that, I think I'll still do the trip. Go round Aussie. By yourself? Spend most of my life on the road alone. It won't be anything new. I guess not. Wouldn't be rushing anywhere this time, though. Just cruising along. Who knows where I'll end up. You reckon you might not come back? Maybe not permanently, no. But with your mum and Thom both dying the way they did... I feel like it was training for something, whatever it was. I reckon I'm ready now.
0: That was Ian Rogerson reading The Long Road. Please like Ear Movies or rate it or whatever your podcast platform has set up to say you enjoyed it. Or even just tell your friends. And come back for more of Biological Poker, Season 1 of Ear Movies. I'm Simon Lockhurst. Thanks for listening.